Posting Up is sponsored by Bolin Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bolinbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. Promo code posting up. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National Bureau Writer for the Washington Post. Coming today with a really fun podcast with my colleague, Kent Babb, who wrote a terrific story on Tina Ball, the matriarch of the Ball family. You hear a lot about the brothers. You hear a lot about the old man. Uh, you don't hear a lot about Tina, who had a stroke uh, last February um, during Lonzo's one season at UCLA and has been kind of on the road to recovery ever since. And Kent did an amazing job kind of giving you an insight into how her recovery is going, how the different members of her family handle it. Uh, it's really a terrific read. So be sure to go check that out. And and now be sure to check out this podcast with Ken as he talks about how it happens. So without further ado, here's my conversation with my guy, Ken Babb. All right, Kent, thanks for doing the podcast, man. I appreciate it. As I've told you privately, a tremendous job on the story with Tina Ball. And uh, I guess the first thing I wanted to just ask you was, um, you know, for anybody who read the story, you know, there was a, you know, a Lithuanian videographer, you were over there. Um, obviously, if doing doing a story like that comes with a lot of logistical hurdles. Just what, what was it like for you trying to, you know, pull this thing together? Pretty surreal, um, and thanks for having me on. Uh, appreciate you doing this and talking about the story. Um, yeah, I mean, like, this is not kind of a process that I would say is normal in any way. I mean, for one, like, I think that the Ball family kind of live a very different life these days than, you know, most people I deal with, even in professional sports. I mean, like, I think there's, like, kind of a show business element to it, and, you know, kind of, it, 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 even if it's not that, I think it's, like, a desire to be in show business. So, like, there were so many hurdles that came with this, and, like consultants to speak to and producers and other producers and <laughs> you know the whole time like I'm like I have LeVar Ball's number and like so I'm texting him and just like telling him what I want to do and like I think there's like this desire to you know kind of like go through certain channels and I, I mean it was just like a very bizarre thing and so like my three days in Lithuania um, were just crazy because like you know it's mostly rural you know there's it's like not near anything it's basically like a spa where people in lithuania or in eastern europe go to get away from it all and so like from that standpoint it's probably good if you're just kind of a guest there but you know it's a strange place to live and lavar had essentially been living there for like four four months with you know his two younger sons so you know he doesn't interact with many people you know apart from the same you know like four relatives like he's got a brother that was over there when, when i was there um, and I counted, you know, at least seven videographers who were just sort of on call 24 hours a day. Just, you know, if Lamar goes down the elevator, they're there to film it. If he walks to the buffet, they're there to film it. And, you know, like, it's just very strange. And like the first, my first interaction in person with Lamar was just in the hallway. Um, you sort of hear him before you see him. That is definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, and you know, I, we can more on that in a second. That's sort of how I started the story, but like, um, you know, I, I just saw him in the hallway and he was finishing up a very loud conversation with somebody I didn't recognize. And I just wanted to say hello and, you know, 
introduce myself in person. Right. And, you know, and I did that, and he was very pleasant and kind of normal, I guess. But, like, it was clear <laughs> that, like, he was, he preferred any conversation between us to take place in front of those cameras, which, I mean, I guess that's just how the reality show thing works. I've never lived that life. But, like, he was completely different when I saw him in the hallway for that brief interaction than he was for the hour in his suite the next day when the cameras were rolling. And so, like, that's kind of why I wrote it the way I did. Like, I don't know what's real, I don't know what's stage. <laughs> right. Because I, I, I personally do not believe he's like that all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, the, the entire Ball family, uh, the entire Ball family situation is a fascinating one for just that reason. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I think that I think that's that's really been the thing that stood out about them over the last year and a half is that you kind of never do really know what's coming next or what's true or what isn't. And, and kind of along those lines, um, I was I was interested to see um, I, I guess I was interested to see the story come together in the first place, because it is one that we had talked about for a while that you wanted to try to pursue. And while I thought that LeVar would kind of go for it because he's kind of of the like Bill Vec, like. Uh, to, to make a super old re- reference about baseball in a basketball podcast, uh, kind of the, like, any publicity is good publicity thing. Um, I I was surprised that it even kind of happened, given it is a sensitive topic, obviously, to have somebody going through a health issue like this. Were you surprised that you got the clearance in the first place to even pursue the story the way you did and get the kind of access that you got to write it? A little bit. I mean, the access for sure. I mean, like, I thought this was going to be kind of you know, like, let's do this in, like, a formal interview setting in, like, a conference room or at a game or something like that. So the access was unbelievable. And so, you know, to back up a little bit, I started getting into this and emailing and texting LeVar and his people in January. So, like, that's how long this took to come together. And, you know, like, I wouldn't say the communication was great. And I would say that at various times I would say, okay, we got the green light. And <laughs> I said, okay, well, when? And then you don't hear anything for weeks. And I right. mean weeks. And right. so, like, I mean, I was in March. I remember this because my mom was here visiting. And, like, I just remember being really frustrated. I was like, man, I really just, like, tried to work this as hard as I possibly can. This is a story that's really important to me. Like, I think it could be great. And so I emailed, you know, my contact. And I was like, look, man, here's the thing. Like, I'm just a regular person. I'm trying to get this story. If you guys don't want it, cool. Like, if right. you don't want to cooperate, just tell me that and I'll back away. You'll never hear from me again, but kind of this like dancing around thing. I just don't understand how that's productive for anybody. It's like, you know, I really want to do it. It's extremely important to me. And I think it could show the ball family in like a completely different life. I think you can tell the whole ball family story through Tina, who's like struggling and has been kind of behind the scenes while LaVar has been out there, you know, putting his whole life out in front of the camera. Right. Um, and so that somehow, you know, I guess touched a nerve. And they were just like, okay, yes, like go to LA. And it was like, whatever you want to do, spend the time, you know, at the parents' house, you know, like no rules. I mean, it, it was great to see Tina and her parents kind of in that unrestrained environment and like what the real lifeness of her recovery looks like. Yeah, so that not, was, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but just for people who haven't got a chance to read it yet, can you kind of explain that? Cause that like, like the stuff, like, cause that was pretty riveting stuff to read. Just kind of like, sure, what it yeah, was like, yeah, to sit in fact, and watch like I should even, I should even like, you know, say what has happened to LeVar Ball's wife, Tina. So right before, so this was in February, 2017, right before Lonzo Ball announced his intentions to leave UCLA to enter the NBA draft. Well, not even that. Not even that, Ken. I'm going to back you up a little bit because she 
she, I, I covered UCLA in uh, the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament in mid-March. And nobody really knew what was going on. It was just all of a sudden, the mom just disappeared. Right. Like, she was always around with, with LeVar all the time. And then she was just gone. And like, so, the, and then yeah, he so came it, to the NCAA so tournament and didn't really say what was going on with her. It was just, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, LeVar, here's LeVar. And then I think, I want to say TMZ or somebody like that reported during the tournament, during the first round, that she'd had a stroke. And it wasn't there because Lonzo, the first time he got asked about it publicly, was in Sacramento at the tournament. So, like, that was when all this was going on, just as right. background so, for people. Yeah, so she had a stroke. You know, it was completely unexpected. They said that she had no previous health problems, no kind of, you know, you – you know, have symptoms consistent with like pre-stroke, nothing like that. So right. this, dev- this devastating thing that nearly killed her, and you know, she somehow recovered. You know, has you know been like inching forward on her recovery. And sort of the cruelest thing about this is like, so she is more or less healthy. Like she gets, she's learned to walk again. Like she's regaining feeling on her right side, which had been previously paralyzed. But the one thing she can't really do is talk. I mean, like she could say like a word here and there. It's mostly like yes and okay, which mean different things. Right. But like she cannot hold a conversation, even though like she knows exactly what she wants to say. So like this isn't like, you know, her brain has been like wiped, you know, from the stroke. It's that her brain mostly works like in her own mind, like she knows exactly what she wants to say to somebody. Like if you t- I'm, I would talk to her the same way I'm talking right now. Right. And she knows what she wants to say, but her mouth. Just like she's got it. duct tape on her mouth. Basically, it's like, yeah. you know, like the, the bridge between her brain and mouth is just, you know, destroyed. And right. so like she has gotten kind of increasingly better by very small steps over the last year and a half or so. It can sometimes blurt out, you know, what like a sentence. Uh, her mom told me a couple of weeks ago that she came out with two sen- sentences. But like this is all like very small and just worked so hard for it. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a big mystery kind of what happened with Tina who, you know, where is this, like, woman who was driving this almost as hard as LeVar? Right. Because she just disappeared, and, you know, LeVar didn't really want to talk about it. And so, you know, anyway, to kind of get back to what the original question was, like, I was right. really surprised they were sort of okay with me just, like, going all in on this. And, like, the best and worst things about LeVar is I think he says yes to everything. Right. And, like, it takes some doing to get, you know, kind of what I wanted to do, because what I like to think I do deals in, like, nuance and detail – and I, it was hard for me to get them to understand how it was different. But like once I think they did, they were, I mean, that part was great. You know, craziness, surprises, things I've never experienced before. Right. But the access and I think like their desire to please, you know, another like microphone with a body attached to it, me, you know, was sort of second to none. Yeah. Well, and like that, that was what, like, that was the kind of what we got back to. Like you, you sitting at the table with them and she was like going through these exercises, trying to get her to like, like read, you know, like retrain her brain on this stuff was pretty, it, it had to be a pretty surreal thing for you to be sitting, like sitting there watching happen in front of you, I would imagine. It was, and it's very basic. I mean, just imagine, you know, a dad teaching his little girl how to read and like just the, not even that, but like just the alphabet, like go through the alphabet, write colors out, right? You know, like an animal name or something like that. And that's what this father who's now 75 is doing with his daughter who's now 50. And like that's right. how she's bringing herself back by this like extremely basic kind of daily re- repetitive training stuff. And so like... I mean, it, it, it was something I've never experienced before, and I think the human brain is very mysterious. Um, and just yeah. to see it like that, I think, was 
uncomfortable and inspiring at different times. I, I could totally see that. Now, one thing that really stood out to me in reading this story, because I like the only time I, I was trying to think about this before we did this, the only time I'd ever really seen her speak, because she did kind of disappear from the picture right as Lonzo was starting to really take off, um, was they did, I want to say they did a, they did some kind of a documentary with ESPN. It was like a third, it was like a E60 or something. And she was talking on it. And that was like the one time I'd ever really heard her talking. And most of it was just like stuff about her meeting LeVar and that kind of like it was pretty basic stuff. But the thing that struck me in the story was how much this was a shared vision between the two of them. And it wasn't it wasn't just that it was like, here's LeVar that's kind of hard charging and my kids are going to be in the NBA. And like she was kind of like trying to keep him from going too crazy it was it was really felt like at least the way i read how you described it was that this was a joint vision on here's what our kids are going to do and people might think we're crazy but this is how it's going to be and it wasn't just a lavar production it was a lavar and tina production from the start Posting Up is sponsored by Bolin Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bowlinbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code POSTINGUP. Yeah, and I think this is just like they saw this very early on. And, you know, I, look, and, and I don't know that I believe that they saw all this. I mean, from a reality show to, sure. you know, like him being like this personality and kind of larger than life thing. <laughs> right. I do think that they thought, you know, hey, we've got some, you know, athletic genes. Uh, LeVar is a skilled coach. Uh, Tina is a great kind of educator and nurturer. And they have this like really good and interesting yin and yang um, that I think would have been, you know, kind of valuable, even if Lonzo didn't make it to the NBA. I just think it's like, I, I mean, this is not what we're even talking about, but like good marriages, I think are based on kind of balance and you know, yes. they had this sort of shared vision and, you know, we're going to get there. We're going to get there by God. And, you know, Tina let LeVar be LeVar and he was always kind of this larger than life personality, but she handled the things that LeVar didn't want to do. And LeVar was able to handle the things that Tina didn't want to do. Right. They both were just like, you know, we're going to get our kids to maximize their their potential and they're going to be great and we're going to be rich come hell or high water. And so, like, yeah, they were in this together the whole time. And the way I put it in the story is, you know, Tina, who was a, a graphic designer and liked to draw and things like that, she was going to be the soul of Big Baller brand. Right. And LeVar, who has always been kind of a loudmouth. <laughs> was going to be the voice and like he was going to be willing to say whatever it took as he's done um, to put the brand on the map. And, and look, I mean, say what you will about LeVar Ball. And, and like, I go very different ways on him, <laughs> you know, before, after, and even during interacting with him. Yes. And, he is a, for people might want to think that he is a, just like a, a, is one thing, but as somebody who's dealt with him a little bit myself, he's, he's a complicated guy. I mean, I don't know if anybody could have predicted this, but LeVar is very skilled, like President Trump, at knowing how to get people to react. Yeah. Saying something at the right time that, like, you may not like, you may not agree with, but you're going to feel something, whether that's anger or agreement or whatever. He brings out emotion in everybody. Yeah, and, like, you cannot take that away from him. And, like, there's a lot of famous people on debate shows and who 
run blogs and Twitter accounts that have found very lucrative uh, salaries doing the very same thing, just sort of playing to a certain audience. And I know many of these people, and they're not really like that. Right. But they, but they know that people can't not react. And, and look, I've had people disagree with me on this. I don't claim to know LeVar Ball. Um, I don't think he's really what we see on TV based on talking to his family. I think he knows what gets a reaction, and, and that's just sort of a it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've talked to him, and, like, I've interviewed him without any cameras around, just, like, with a microphone. And even then, like, he, he definitely, I think, has a persona that he puts on in front of the cameras because, like you said, he it, it kind of like – I mean, I think you had a line – if I remember right, correct me if I'm wrong. You had a line in the story about when he talked about out – you know, he could beat Michael Jordan in a one-on-one game. He had told people for years that, like, at the right time – when like there was going to be a moment to trot this line out to stir things up, that was what he was going to do. Like he he clearly like the current president does kind of think about this stuff ahead of time and go, okay, if I say this, this is going to cause this reaction and that's going to get this level of attention. And like what what's that's, going to piss people off? What's going to like you know fire up the opponents? What's I mean? And look, I mean that is a skill. I mean in 2018, that's no question valuable and. You know, like he, even with uh, Sotina's dad, uh, Robert Slotinski, Bob, um, you know, Bob likes to play golf and, you know, he's on the reality show occasionally. And so LeVar tells Bob, you know, hey, you know, every time they interview you and ask about golf, just be like, tell you what, I know I could have beaten Arnold Palmer in my prime. And Bob won't do it. He's just like a soft-spoken guy. And he's just like, you know, ha, 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 sure, LeVar. But LeVar, like every time he gets a chance, it's like, you know, you need to say this. Like, say you could have crushed on Arnold Palmer, you know, and like stuff like that. And that, that's just how he thinks because he knows that will rattle people's cages. Right, right. No, that that you, you couldn't. You couldn't have summed that up better. I, I was curious, what was kind of your take on the grandparents' just kind of view of the entire thing? Because they they clearly love the grandkids, and they, they seem to be fond of LeVar also, but they also seem to be a little wary of the entire production. Is that is that a fair statement, or am I reading too much into that? From I, think it's, story? I think it's more or less fair. I mean, so, you know, a little, like, journalism inside baseball. Like, I called Tina's mom... Uh, Catherine, you know, the week before it ran, the story ran to fact check some things. And, you know, I wanted to read some of the more outrageous quotes of LeVar and just be like, you know, what do you think about this? Like, you're her, her mom. You know, you've been kind of supervising her recovery. Like, what do you think when he says, you know, you better get to move in and, you know, move your ass and stuff like that? And she just did not want to talk about that. And right. Never really answered the question, you know, would kind of say, you know, like, you know, you, you guys in the media just don't understand them and things like that. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm trying to understand them. So like, right, you know, what does right. it mean to you? Right. And so I don't really know what the setup is. I mean, like, I know that they wear a lot of big baller brand stuff and they say, you know, certain things. They're like overly positive and supportive. And like some of that, I think, is because that's what Tina needs right now. Like I right. around Tina, like she needs like this hyper positivity to get through the day and to get better and, and keep kind of improving on her recovery. Right. But I, but I also can't help but wonder if, you know, they just don't want to go sideways of LeVar and kind of go to war in any way with him. And, you know, because I think LeVar, like Trump, really kind of is comfortable during a time of conflict. And I just don't think that Tina's parents, and, and look, I, I, this is me completely guessing. Sure. I just think that like, Tina's parents just don't want to piss him off or, like, don't want to, like, give him reason to distance himself from the family. And so, like, I get that. I, and I'm sure it's, like, extremely delicate. I don't think that they approve of everything. And I know sure. that 
the dad just flat didn't like Lamar at the beginning. But well, and that was kind of what I was getting at because you, I thought it was interesting the way you kind of wrote, <laughs> the way you kind of wrote about the initial part of their relationship. That it clearly seemed that there needed to be some kind of a uh, courting process on the the part of the father, you know, like get kind of getting him on board because it, it certainly didn't seem like he was a hundred percent on board from the beginning with that. Right. And, and I, I just think that like, he didn't like how LeVar talked and like, he's just like, you know, kind of a loud mouth. And you know, like, I, I think like, I don't, and I asked LeVar straight up about this. I was like, how'd you win Bob over? And he's like, I don't win anybody over, you know, like that's, that's just not what I do. And okay, fair enough. I mean, like I've got a father-in-law and sure. you know, like whatever. I mean, like there is like a level of trying to win over your father-in-law. That's just how it is. Or else you're a jerk. I mean, like, that's just, like, it, my read on it. So, like, I, I'm sure there was a conversation or a series of them. But, I like, at least coming from Bob, you know, like, Tina was very happy around LeVar. He made her laugh with some of the kind of crazy stuff he would say and do. And, you know, they just had, like, a really good relationship. And, and that's why I quoted him saying, you know, you must really see something in him. <clears throat> and he didn't say this, but, like, I imagine the second part of that would be that I don't see <laughs> Right. And, that was kind of what I was getting at. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I'm sure that's true for a lot of dads of, of daughters. And, sure. you know, like, there's some complicated things that you probably have to overlook. And, you know, Bob is very protective. And I think LeVar, you know, comes from a place that Tina's family does not. And I think that was new and kind of frightening in some ways. And so I think he was wary. And I think some of his uh, hesitations were grounded in reality and some probably weren't and like, right like everything with lavar ball it's very hard to know well and that and that kind of leads into something else i wanted to ask you about because you you mentioned you calling the mother and asking her about some of the stuff that lavar said and i thought you know it was interesting reading the story and like i, I kind of knew this anyway from being around lavar a little bit and kind of knowing how he operates but you know like you mentioned you've got this woman who is trying to come back from a stroke and like lavar's default setting is go at it 150 miles an hour right so there's like we're not gonna baby anybody we're not gonna take it easy on anybody i'm gonna treat you just like you had never had anything happen to you right down to like telling her to hurry up and you know not you know doing all, like saying i'm not gonna wait for it or to gotta keep up with me all this kind of stuff um what was your take on that because I imagine, again, like that's a interesting, um, that's an interesting thing to be kind of a fly on the wall for when you've got on the one hand, you're sitting at the table and they're, you know, painstakingly meticulously going through these exercises and being super positive. And then on the other hand, you got LeVar coming in saying, like, let's hurry up and, and you know, get your get your butt in gear. I mean, I could only sort of, you know, halfway interpret the mind of LeVar Ball, but, like, I think in his world, you know, pushing people to their limits has been successful. And, like, he's gotten his three sons, you know, if not on the precipice of the NBA or one in the NBA, but they are famous. I mean, like, they do, you know, they are household names, you know, the family is. And, you know, he's done that through sheer force of will and, as he would say, talking it into existence. And so, I mean, like, he has been rewarded for some of this behavior and, you know, I think the way he sees it is like, you know, if he really pushes Tina, um, then she will come back from this and, and will, as they put it, snap out of it. And like right. I know from talking to stroke victims, that's, or I'm sorry, stroke experts, like that's not how it works. Um, and I mean, like there is some mystery about this. I mean, like what he does may be successful. You just don't know. Um, and so pushing her and 
setting a high bar, if she has previously responded well in that way, even before the stroke, then okay, give it a try. But I also think that, you know, sometimes, you know, you expect to, you know, see some kind of love and tenderness and things like that. And he did mention some of that, you know, as I point out in the story, like he did sort of turn the volume down a little bit occasionally and say some nice things. It was just like striking to me, just like how overwhelmingly lopsided the kind of shocking things he would say was. And so like, that's right. why in, you know, I broke the fourth wall a little bit in that part of the story, just because like, I don't know what, you know, does he really believe this? Is he just saying it because there's cameras all over? Right. You know, does he really like try to, you know, get in his, his stricken wife's face about having a stroke and like make fun of her about it? I mean, I hope not. And, you know, we talked about this, you know, before we, we, you know, fired off the podcast, but you know, if there's been one criticism, to the story is that on the show, Ball and the Family, LeVar has treated, uh, people point out that LeVar has treated his wife much with much more tenderness. And fair enough. And like, I actually went into this thinking I would see that side of LeVar. But I have to trust my eyes and ears, you know, what I see, what I hear, what I experience. I don't write, you know, based on what I've seen on a reality show because I think those are staged. I don't know that, but I think that they can be. And I mean, I, that, I mean, I know that they're staged, so you, I could, I could tell you for sure. But in other words, I, I don't trust what I've seen on TV. I of course, do trust what I've seen for myself. So, of course, maybe he's joking. Maybe this is how he's coping. Maybe he truly believes some of the things he said. I don't know. I just know he set him. I set him up, you know, several times to say really nice things about Tina and the family, and he just didn't want to go there. I mean, just like several things that. I'm just like, well, tell me about, you know, what drives you, LeVar, or like, tell me how you guys met. And like, there is, you know, a much more kind of romantic story about how they met. But he was like, oh, she, she looked good in heels and she was tall and I thought she looked good. And I'm just like, okay, but what else? Well, that was it, you know, things like that. And so, you know, for whatever reasons that have made sense for him and been rewarded, I think he feels like when those cameras are rolling, he has to be this like tough guy and bad yes. or whatever he thinks. Yes. And cannot show that softer side in the same abundance that he shows the tough guy stuff. And so whatever. I saw what I saw. I heard what I heard and I wrote it as such. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it certainly is an interesting, uh, it certainly, it certainly makes for an interesting situation. Now, um, you, you, you mentioned a few times about the show and I, I just was curious, um, what was that whole, and I know you were there to, more for the stuff with Tina than the boys, but what was that whole Lithuania deal like being there up close and kind of seeing, seeing that for what it was at the time? I mean, I don't have a whole lot of experience in the kind of TV production world, and I'm sure people, some people would, you know, say that some of what I do is, you know, you know, pretty unglamorous. But like the fact that these seven young, you know, early 20s, early to mid 20s videographers are basically just like camped out in this like very sterile hotel lobby for hours and hours. So I, I was there. Um, this is toward the end of April, and. Um, you know, they would just sort of wait. This was when, when Lonzo joined Leangelo and Lamelo, so he he went to Lithuania. Tina was supposed to join him while I was there, and I was all I was told was something happened with her flight and she didn't make it. I think she eventually made it, but definitely right. not when I was told that she was going to be there. Anyway, right. you know, like you could like so I I probably spent five hours in the lobby one day, which was hard enough for one day, and then you know imagine doing that for like four months. And, um, so. You can tell something is about to happen when you start seeing these videographers start to scramble. And you're just like, okay, what's going to happen here? And so, you know, it was like a big deal when LeVar would, like, get in the, you know, the 
bus or whatever and go to dinner or go to practice or whatever. And it was like a thing. And, <laughs> you know, like when Lonzo walked in, it was like this, like very carefully, you know, kind of reported and like make sure everybody's in the right position. Like that was a big deal for what they were trying to show on that. And mm-hmm. so it was just like kind of interesting to see that all take place behind the scenes and, you know, Lavar's suite was on the second floor, and he would ride the elevator down, which, like, it's way faster to take the stairs, but I think <laughs> it's more dramatic from right. a TV standpoint to take the slow ride down in the elevator. And every time he would come down, there would be somebody with a camera pointed at him. And, I mean, it's weird. And, like, I went, I mentioned this in the story, I went to, the, you know, his favorite restaurant there, and, you know, like, I, I just, like, kind of casually brought it up with somebody who works there. I'm just like, you know, what's it like when they come in? And he, kind of rolled his eyes and said it causes a lot of stress because they make everybody sign waivers. Even if you're just like randomly there having dinner at a beer bar, you have to sign a waiver. Sure. And if you don't want to do it, then you need to take off. You need to get out of here, (laughs) you know, because LeVar and the crew are coming. And so it's bizarre. I mean, I had to sign a waiver to interview him and it was like, that was sprung on me 15 minutes before the interview. Right. And, you know, what do you do? And so like, I think in an ideal world, you know, a reporter doesn't sign anything like that, but 3 a.m. back east, and I'm all the way over there to interview the guy, so what do you do? Right. You signed, you signed the thing. Right. Right. So I did, and, you know, so maybe I'll be on Ball and Family someday. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. What what was the, the, the what was the thing uh, among all the stuff that you saw and and everything that you you kind of experienced or what was the biggest thing that surprised you about the whole thing? I mean, overall, I think just like how strong Tina is. I mean, like I know that may sound cheesy, but like she is so kind of ruthlessly normal. You know, like I think we're so used to seeing the ball. You know, boys. You know, seeing Lavar and Lonzo and the two younger sons. Right. You know, it's just like these, these these have become characters by now. And so, like, what Tina is not is a character. Like this could like this part could have been any family in America. Her parents could be any set of like older retiree parents in America. Right. Where tragedy strikes and right. You know, like I just think it's like interesting to see behind the curtain on this and like she is incredibly strong. I mean, like driven and motivated and by God, I am going to get back from this, you know, just like Lavar's, like, I'm going to see my sons into the NBA, no matter what she wants to be the Tina she used to be. And like, that's so basic and fundamental that you can't help but be moved by it. And so like seeing her and her parents, like just working at this every day, right. Just to get back to like what used to be normal, you know, is just so striking, especially when contrasted against what LeVar is trying to do and kind of the grandiosity that he chases every day. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, 
that was that was pretty striking for me that like while you know the way you you captured it while while these people are you know doing these exercises and trying to like like you said like basically go back to like kindergarten and like build this back up you've got this alternate reality over here where you've got the son playing in the nba got the dad has become a you know national celebrity you've got the other two boys that are about to go on this boondoggle to lithuania to play in you know these you know goat farm towns in the middle of <laughs> the middle of nowhere you know like it, it it was just a very surreal uh it, it was a very surreal to kind of see those two like parallel universes operating at the same time like that right and like that's why you know the first you know, 500 or so words of the story, you know, I wanted to really show, you know, just like how different these universes currently are. And so like, I, I wrote it as, you know, LaVar is super loud and a quiet place. Like basically like if this was a movie, I wanted, you know, <laughs> right. the camera to be like focused on this crack door and you see him, I'm sorry, you hear him before you see him because that's just LaVar. And then you've got, you know, 6,000 miles away, Tina is at a Lakers game and like she, is in this like super loud and raucous place and she can't say anything. So she's quiet and in a loud place. And, you know, she's in a big city and he's in rural Lithuania and, you know, he's chasing, you know, whatever he's chasing and she's trying to get back to the person she used to be. Like, it's just, you know, I don't think either of those works as effectively without the other. And, you know, just like always, and how I say in the story, like they're kind of perfectly yin and yang. Um, and, I mean, I was riveted by it. I like sort of like fell in love with the story and like what Tina represents, especially in the context of who her husband is and what he's doing. Um, and I just think like she's remarkable. And like, I, I wish there were more stories like that of, of somebody's strength rather than, you know, kind of another personality who's off bloviating on today's midday reality or uh, midday debate show. <laughs> that is, that is definitely true. The, the one, the one thing we haven't really talked about much are the, the kids themselves and, I don't know how much time you actually got to spend around them, but I mean, obviously I, I've dealt with Lonzo. I kind of know what his deal is, but I, I was especially curious since you were over there, what, what did you kind of just make of the, the, the younger boys whole uh, expedition over there and kind of the, the uh, you know, as somebody who got, you know, one of the few people who got a chance to kind of see it up close. Like what, what did you kind of think of that, that entire scene of these guys trying to, you know, play in this professional league several thousand miles away from Southern California? Yeah, so um, they, I think, were extremely bored most of the time. I mean, there's just not much to do there. I mean, they didn't, they did not practice every day. I don't know that they worked out every day. I mean, like they're, you know, when I walked into Lavar's suite that one day, you know, um, Lamelo was kind of coming in and he was just like kind of playing on his phone, walking down the hallway, and I met him there. And like he's kind of every 16 year old ever. He doesn't really look in the eye. Sure. Um, you know, kind of one of those and uh Leangelo was just in there kind of laying across the bed i mean it's just like every day there was like all this like killing of time which is i mean i don't know that they played more than like eight or ten games because they didn't even follow the bc vitalis schedule i mean like they just like they were in the ball family invitational or whatever the hell they called it like (laughs) right they they didn't even play that much right so like it's it was for me like i think kind of a publicity stunt that you know they're having to deal with now because what do you do with Lamelo and you know like where's he and I know the answer is he's going to play in the you know JBL now but like um, but, but like what the hell is that like that's right. the thing like that the uh, I Lavar is a smart dude and he 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 clearly knows how to market stuff and like 
Lonzo, like, even though he has some flaws in his game, is clearly a talented kid. But, like, I, you just look at what's going on with these other two kids, and it really makes me wonder if, like, they're going to go anywhere. Like, well, Leandro's just not – Leandro's, like, I can just say this. Like, he's worked out for some teams. Like, he, he's not good. I mean, right. he and, there's a chance he'll maybe play in the G League, maybe. I, I don't think that's even going to happen. So, like, I don't know what his – future is going to be i mean to me i would have if if i was advising him i would have said listen man i know this thing in china happened go just deal with this year and go be big man on campus at ucla for three years you're probably going to play like whatever you know like that's probably going to be the high point of your life like go do that and the younger kid like like you said like if he just kind of chills for two or three years i, I don't know what his future is going to look like i mean it's yeah not, and I'm, it's, I'm, it's very odd yeah and you're you know, way better at kind of the scouting thing. I'm definitely not a scout. I, mean, like, <laughs> right. I look at I look at Lamelo. I think he's incredibly skilled. Yes, he's very tall, but like he's, he's definitely also better. So he's definitely got a future, a potential in the way the other guy does not. Right. And, and and look, I would even you know kind of expand this to Lonzo. I mean, like I for one, I mean this is just like you know speculation, but like just kind of being around the family. Some you know Lonzo is not like day to day kind of part of the family, the way everybody else is like, he does not live in Chino Hills. He lives in LA. Correct. You know, he's got, I don't know if it's a girlfriend or wife, but they've got a baby daughter. And so like, he's Correct. Really got his own thing. Like he appears on these shows sometimes with LeVar, but like, look, I mean, I don't know if at some point LeVar, or I'm sorry, Lonzo doesn't sort of distance himself from kind of what his dad is. I mean, Serena and Venus Williams had to do that with their dads. You know, like Lonzo, I think, is a really thoughtful dude and is going to realize, I mean, just like in the last few days with this, like, possible Kawhi Leonard trade Well, stuff. here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. To your point, Kent, there are teams that will not trade for him because they don't want to deal with the circus. Right. And, like, it has nothing to do with his talent. And, like, if you talk to players around the league, like, I personally don't think LeBron James wants to play on a team with Lonzo Ball. I don't – that's just my speculation based on I, – I don't know that. So, aggregators – there's your disclaimer. Uh, however, it's not because Alonzo. You ask people around the NBA, like players, nobody has a problem with the kid. He's a super quiet kid. He doesn't really say much. Um, you know, like you look at his teammates on the Lakers, they all clearly like him. I mean, I know him and Kuzma got, Kyle Kuzma got told to like tone it down with the uh, mocking each other stuff on social media by Magic the other day. But like it, that, that, like that's all good natured stuff. But yeah, that's like guys. young guys. Stuff. Right. Like, but they, like but what I like, mean is like not... it's, it's friendly stuff. It's not right. like, oh, yeah, your dad's a weirdo. We don't want to deal with you. And that's what I'm talking about. Right. And, you know, we're saying the same thing. And, and sure. Like, I think, you know, Lonzo up until now, you know, it's, it's like since he's been like kind of relevant, um, has been like he has so far succeeded, if we can say that, in spite of his dad. Like, yes. I, I think he would have been the number two pick overall last year, even if LeVar hadn't been hyping it up. And Correct. You know, like, that's great that the Lakers drafted him. But, like, right now, if they traded Lonzo, if they part ways with him at some point, I don't know that it will fully be because of Lonzo. I mean, even if LeBron LeBron does go to the Lakers, you know, like, I think what you're saying is probably, like, more on the court. Like, I don't know, like, how that dynamic would work. Well, I'm saying – what I'm I'm saying is that I don't think – I don't, what I was saying, it was the same thing you were going to say, which is that I don't think LeBron James wants to be here in every single day. Oh yeah. My boy's the reason you came to play for the Lakers. hundred percent. I mean, I, yeah. So like, that's I, what I mean. It's my, got nothing to do with belief. the kid or his talent. I think exactly. it's all about, I don't want to hear exactly. about these. I don't want to hear. I mean, there's just like, there's, there's like enough drama and like LeBron likes to be the center of his own hurricane. <laughs> right. And, you know, like, so if, if he goes to the Lakers, then my 
prediction would be whether it was about Lonzo or not, it would be about LeVar and it's time to go. You right. know, this was an experiment and hey, right. we got LeBron now. Peace, Lonzo. Good to have you for a year or two. Right. And they and they're gonna want and they're gonna LeBron's gonna want guys who are ready to win anyway, as opposed to twenty one year old guys. So I think they'd probably trade all those young guys for Dame Lillard or Kawhi or whatever vets they could get to kind of have a team that's ready to compete right now. But to me, I'm with you. There's no question that whether it is LeBron or some other moment down the road, I, I would not be surprised if there does become a moment where you know, Lonzo's got to kind of assess his situation and decide, you know, what am I, you know, what, what do I, what am I going to do here? Um, and, and, and here's the thing. I mean, like, I'm curious, you know, what happens to the ball family sort of cultural life force if Lonzo does go to, you know, like, I, I don't think San Antonio makes sense despite kind of the pairing, you know, but like goes to OKC, you know, goes to Oklahoma City. Sure. Yeah. Let's Is say he gets traded for Westbrook in October. Yeah, I mean, is the whole family going to go to Oklahoma City? Is the reality show going to go there? I don't think so. And so, therefore, if Leangelo is not playing in the NBA, as, you know, likely will happen, right? then what? I mean, like, I just, like, I don't think that there's sort of the credibility if Lonzo is no longer in L.A. You know, you, you have, like, film crews that are based there, you know, producing this reality show. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I, I wonder if I if we see the kind of the, the tail of the comet, you know, coming here, if... You know, like if things sort of stay the same and Lonzo remains kind of the foundation player for the Lakers, if, you know, all those kind of dominoes don't fall. Right. You know, it'll it'll stay kind of in this state of, you know, stasis or whatever. But like if he goes somewhere else or <coughs> Magic says, you know, LeVar, you've got to like get out. I don't know what happens. I'm I'm totally I'm totally with you and and uh, you know part of that too is the fact that if you know if Leangelo just isn't good and uh and and Lamelo is kind of in this weird no man's land where he's got a lot of talent like you said but he can't go to college he's not playing for any organized team he's just kind of like floating from the big baller invitational in Lithuania to whatever this JBL league thing they're going to try to do here is like I, I it's hard for me to see how you know the two of them playing in this JBL is going to really matter to anybody. You know, like you said, if Lonzo starts to go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go off and do my own thing and kind of slide out of the picture here. Uh, you know, you, you do start to wonder at that point, what's left. Yeah. And, and like, I, and I think the reason that they are kind of interesting as a family is because, okay, Lonzo is good. And so, you know, I think the casual fan is just like, well, if he made it to the league, you know, fulfilling LeVar Ball's sort of prediction. Right. Why the can't these two? guys? Right. And so like, I think once, you know, we find out what happens with Leangelo and like, I feel fairly confident in saying the Lakers aren't going to touch him. Maybe nobody, wrong, no, like, there isn't a, there isn't an NBA team that's going to touch him. I mean, <laughs> I, so, it would be the biggest, it'd be, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be the biggest surprise of the summer. <laughs> And, you know, so who knows? I mean, I guess, you know, when you're in kind of LeVar Ball solar system, you don't rule anything out. But, like, um, I mean, even if he gets assigned to the Lakers G League team, is that as interesting? Are people still going to tune in? Are they still going to be as invested in this family? I I don't know that I see it. But, like, also, I'm not the target audience of the Ball and the Family show. (laughs) No kidding, right? (laughs) Um, All right. Well, with that, just I guess just one final question. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want? uh, Obviously, want want everybody to go read the story go go look it up on the post website uh and check it out but is there 
Um, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think merits discussion before we go, or do you think we hit all the important notes? I think we more or less covered it. I mean, I guess I would, you know, like people read stories the way they read them and react to them the, the way they do. I mean, I, I just, you know, work hard as best I could not to let LeVar overshadow. This is a story about Tina Ball, and, like, that's what I wanted. And, you know, like, it's hard to, like, you have to include LeVar because that's why Tina is relevant. But, you know, like, I the one thing that, you know, it's great for like exposure purposes, but like, I think what a lot of people sort of remember is just the outrageous stuff that LaVar says, but like, you know, like I do hope that people sort of focus on what Tina is and where she is kind of in this like ecosystem and, and kind of how, how unique she is. And I think a lot of people do. I just think it's like, it's so hard to focus on something so quiet if there's, if you're in a room surrounded by all this noise. And I just think that's everything, you know, when you're dealing with LaVar Ball, that like you have to just as best you can shut out the noise and look at this kind of amazing person over in the corner, you know, writing the alphabet on the whiteboard. Yeah, no question at all. I mean, it, it was a fascinating story. And like I said, I mean, we had talked about it for a while. I frankly was skeptical that even for the publicity seeking balls, that they would be interested in doing it. And I, I thought it really, you know, as it always does when you do something, I thought it turned out great. So um, I'm glad it worked out. I'm glad you could take some time to do this. And uh, before you go, just let people know where they can find you on the social media platforms and if you've got uh anything else you can hype up in the uh the coming weeks feel free to do so all right cool uh, you can follow me at kent bab i almost never tweet so i don't know that i even fully recommend it but if you, <laughs> if you just want to follow my stories because that's what i use twitter for you know come join the party it's not much of one it's very quiet these days and so nothing immediately on the horizon but uh we'll see kind of where the road takes me yeah for sure well i'll be excited to see where it goes and uh thanks again for doing this man like i said I, it was a uh, terrific job on this i'm really happy it worked out appreciate it timmy thanks for doing this Thanks again to Kent for doing the podcast. Really appreciate it. Please go find his Tina Ball story. It is really outstanding. Um, I really encourage you to take the time, if you haven't read it yet, uh, to go look for it. Also, go follow him at Kent Babb on Twitter, K-E-N-T-B-A-B-B. Uh, Kent is a terrific writer, does a great job, uh, has done a, ma- a lot of amazing stories, and this one is right up there with some of the best work he's done. So definitely go check it out. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Montemps, on Facebook at Tim Montemps NBA, in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go give the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you can find it, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Radio Public, TuneIn, uh, anywhere else you can get it. Uh, the five-star rating and review really helps us out a lot, so if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Glenn, big Mavs fan. I know he's anxious to see who the Mavs take on Wednesday, on Thursday, I should say. Maybe they end up with uh, Luka Doncic and they get lucky with that. But, um, you know, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, go find their music and, and, and get yourself some of it. You know, a lot of people have told me how much they like the music on this podcast. And those guys are awesome. I've seen them in concert. They're great. So go check them out. We have a lot of other great podcasts at the Washington Post, from Can He Do That, to Letters from War, to Retropolis, I should say, uh, to Fantasy Football Beat during the football season. Um, We're going to have more stuff coming, too. Go subscribe to them at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Thanks again to everybody for listening. We'll be back again later in the week, hopefully with a draft pot or two. But until then, thanks again, and we'll talk to you all soon.